loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired to create a deeper life, to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, this is your host, Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today, I'm welcoming Donna Kendrick. Donna says she'll never forget that, oh my gosh, what just happened moment when she discovered her husband, Greg, passed away suddenly in November 2013. During her time of grieving, Donna quickly realized that she'd stepped in an, into a new role overnight, one where she had to take control of her family's finances in order to keep life consistent for her and her kids. Important family decisions came on real soon and real quick, and Donna had to figure out how to navigate this new season in her life, which meant finding the professional resources to help. She's made it her life's work to help other widows and widowers navigate their own financial decisions in the first days, weeks, and months of widowhood and the years to follow. She's the author of A Guide to Widowhood, Navigating the First Three Years, which is here to help through the first days, weeks, and months and the years to follow. Donna's also the host of the Widow Wisdom and Wealth podcast, which aims to remove the intimidation out of financial planning so families can handle any transitions that come their way. Donna's an avid long-distance runner who turns her passion into an ability to raise, raise funds for local causes, such as Safe Harbor, a grief counseling program. In 2022, Donna married her husband, Jim, and between them, they have six children. Together with her Newfoundland and English Bulldog, they enjoy living in the community of Springfield Township, Winmer, Pennsylvania. Welcome, Donna. That was a wonderful introduction. Thank you so much, Cheryl. You're very welcome. And we share a little bit of a, of a Philadelphia history. I lived there through junior and senior high school. Oh, you did a Philly yes, girl. Yes, and then I then I booked it back home to California. <laughs> yeah, the winters can be hard, can't they? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I you know this was a long time ago too, and Philly was a little rough for a Berkeley girl at that point. I think it's a little different now, but I'm glad I had the experience. <laughs> It's really funny. We, you know, I grew up in Philadelphia and then moved away. My late husband and I lived internationally. And I remember being like, oh, thank God I'm out of Philly. I am right back. I literally live like within one mile of Philadelphia borders. So like, um, like uh, public school with like in the suburbs for my kids, but still the Philly life. And I couldn't mm -hmm. have it any other way. <laughs> I really couldn't. Well, I live a mile from where I was born. So I guess we're both homing pigeons. That's what we are. <laughs> So um, obviously a big part of what we're going to talk about is what came out of your loss, which I have interviewed a few other people, but not many over my nine years of doing the show who ended up with, um, you know, financial careers of some sort out of uh, their own losses. And, and like you uh, realized how valuable it was to have a hand to hold because, I'll tell you, that's what people spend an inordinate amount of time in therapy talking about, is just uh, the overwhelm of dealing with finances. So we'll get to that. But let's start with your loss itself. So 
um, I've, I would consider your loss particularly traumatic. I don't know if you do. Obviously, any loss has that, that element, but quite contrary to me, I knew my wife was going to die for a really, really long time. We prepared for it. You know, there was no shock involved, really. Um, can you talk a bit about what happened and how it was right away for you in uh, having to make a lot of decisions in the midst of what I have to assume would have been being a little out of your mind or <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah that's a fair one so i always <laughs> call it swirling like the life was swirling i even remember 24 hours after my husband passed um i, I was sitting at my sister-in-law's kitchen table and i felt like i was just sitting there and that literally the room was swirling i'm like oh god is it gonna feel like this forever right like is this gonna calm down because i'm gonna get a little motion sick oh my goodness but yeah. yeah so we'll go back to it so my my late husband greg um he suffered with bouts of depression in his youth and when we were even dating and I don't even know it was depression or anxiety, but he worked through it. We got counseling and we worked through it. And he had a lot of good tools in his tool belt, I call it, to navigate life and the stress of his his employment. Um, and over the years, it would pop itself back up and we would work together as a team and give it time and space and, and get some therapy if we needed it or some internal religious resources. And, and we navigated it. We lived abroad for years um, through my late husband's work. I had given up my career to follow him abroad. And then we're given the lucky um, opportunity to move back home to the Philadelphia area. And in 2013, that's exactly what we did. So he actually took a downgrade from his job, a little less responsibility to leave that stress off of his shoulders. Um, and it was great. Like he, instead of working 16 hour days, he was back at the dinner table and it was wonderful to have him back and present what we quote unquote called like a normal American family. Cause remember we live far away for family from yes. like about seven years. Mm -hmm. So here we were, we moved right back to the Philadelphia area. I moved into my sister's school district. I always say I took over her friends and her area <laughs> and, uh, we were here for about two months and it felt good. About two years before our move here, Greg really struggled. He struggled with undiagnosed depression, we know now, um, and just some really low moments of, of uh, feeling a blankness in life. And when I say low moments, I mean like curled up in bed, unable to get out. Mm. And I did a lot of smoke and mirrors with my kids. I kind of would like make sure he was safe and sound and then would would take them out, do day activities, keep them busy. Often they never even knew he was upstairs in the bedroom. That's how good we were at covering this up. Mm. So I'll fast forward to when we moved back to the Philly area and he took that step down from work, it felt better. Like he had therapists on, on tap. He was on some medications that seemed to be working because sometimes that can be a little bit tricky. And because sure. it was undiagnosed depression, I, I don't know if we were handling it the right way, but that's where we were. And, and it felt good and we were happy and we were back into our rhythm. So yeah, one day on a Saturday afternoon, um, after our kids took a football game, we were, he was literally carrying, they call it like carrying the, the sticks, right? So they mark where the football is there. He was carrying the sticks on the, on the yard line of probably a few hours before he took his life. So the shock of it was that I thought we were better. And that's not an uncommon story, actually, you know, in the therapy world, 
it's it's kind of true that often people will take that step when it is a little bit better. It's very yeah. counterintuitive though, isn't it? For the person on the opposite side, yes. And I will tell you, we're almost uh, almost 10 years out, right? With the turn of the new year. And I can see it that way. Like, wow, he must have known the darkness was coming back in. Mm. And, and that's okay, right? It's okay. In other words, over time... loss is still loss, but we come to accept the the parameters of it, don't we? We definitely do. And I think we also have that little perspective on it. I uh, could not have said what I just said nine years ago. I couldn't have. And there's there's always going to be emotion. I'm glad you're letting it letting it be heard because the idea that it that it just van- goes away somehow doesn't has never seemed real to me in my own losses or the losses of my clients. It it lives with you. It does. Um, I say we walk with grief, right? Like it walks mm-hmm. alongside of us. It feels different as the years go on, but we walk with it. We hold its hand. We celebrate life with it too. Yeah. So. You know, I, I I also just was so aware in reading your book because you do share your story. I could so easily picture you. You talk about sitting by your your neighbor's bonfire, mm. um, and them just kind of managing <laughs> whatever they could. You and your relative, them and and your relatives, as opposed to you, because uh, that's an that's something that happened in your neighborhood that affected everyone in that neighborhood, I have to imagine. It did. It did. Um, And because we were so new, right, to the neighborhood, we'd only lived there for two or three months. Um, It it was impactful for the entire community. Um, But with that same statement, it was impactful for the community because they rallied around us in the weeks and the months and the years afterwards. I will forever be thankful of it. I really will be. Yeah, that's called a good neighborhood, isn't it? Oh, they're wonderful. <laughs> you know, somebody knew a little bit about what to do, what not to do, what not to say, I have to imagine. But um, that's a pretty immediate, I think your kids were pretty young, yes? How, how old were they? Yeah, they were 8, 11, and 12. So old enough that you you had to share what had happened. I'm sh- I'm sure because they might have found out some other way. If not, yeah. um, given their ages, that must have been tough. And also, you had to immediately step into um, a kind of reliability, because that to me is kind of the height of unreliability for uh, a parent to take their own life, right? How did you how did you do that? <laughs> because of course you were in it too. No, and I I believe a lot of it was um let's let's just be honest. The very first year I stuffed it all deep down. Like I did. I wanted to make sure that I quote unquote looked okay, that the kids realized that I was consistent. I wasn't going to do what daddy did, right? That I was going to be the rock and that life was going to continue the way their dad and I expected it for them. Now we all knew it was going to feel different, but that they were going to make friends and they were going to establish themselves in this new community. And they were going to wake 
wake up every morning and go to school and that we were going to continue to live our lives because that's the blessing that we had. So I really did try really hard to make sure even for my extended family that quote unquote, they would say about me like, oh, she's doing well. She's, she's, she's carrying on. That made me proud. I felt like I would relieve his extended family and mine of their worry about me and the kids. If I kept it together and I looked strong and I plowed on. And I think I did a really good job, right? Like, but I will tell you, here comes year two, right? So you get through that year of the first and year two came and it was like that new reality. That was where that big deep breath came of, uh oh, like I, I can't keep up the charade much longer. And now I didn't fall apart. And in front of my kids and at work, I just kept going. It's who I was, right? Like I'm someone that well, life gives you lemons, so you make lemonade. Like that's just my outlook. And I'm blessed to have that outlook of life. Mm, yes. um, but I will tell you, I had to find a very um, special place deep within me to find that litmus, right? To allow the grief to work itself through while carrying it on each day. Where mm. that fear number one, nope. I just put it behind me. I wouldn't let it creep up. And I just kept moving and going because I did want my kids to see that if if mom can pull it together and and isn't, you know, curled up in a ball, then we won't be either. I don't know if it's right or wrong. Maybe a little no. curling up in the ball was needed, right? <laughs> right. Myself. Maybe I had to yeah. show them that you can break down and cry. You just do what you know you're doing. I, I feel uh, that... You know, uh, as as someone who sits with grief every day with lots of people, yep. everybody does it the way they need to do it. Yeah. And then you can always, you know, kind of uh, add later. But it occurs to me there's a little bit of a paradox in the sense that um, that's how you and he handled his illness as well. Uh, it is. Right. And so you 100%. keep going, you keep going, but then you kind of notice there was a downside to that, right? There was, right? It's like, this is the stuff so, we were running. Wait, you're right. it didn't work so great so, in act one. <laughs> like, I, I, well, I mean, it did and didn't. Uh, that's what I would say. And um, obviously you're very open talking about grief. So you didn't avoid it entirely. You know, you, you let it be a part of, and I'm, I'm guessing too, I had young kids when my wife died, the way that I talk to my children about loss is totally different now that they're all well grown uh, than it was when they were, you know, two and a half and 14 or whatever. Yeah. And then during the introduction, you talked about Safe Harbor, and that was like a wonderful program that helped kids uh, who had lost a parent or a caregiver um, gravitate through the first few years. So when the kids would go through their little group sessions, it was age appropriate and loss appropriate. Um, The parents would also sit in a group session and we would learn about what the kids were learning so we could help implement it during the weeks between their sessions. Um, What a wonderful little gift. It was wonderful for the kids, but also wonderful for me too. Um, because just as you said, the way I would speak to my kids about grief changed as they grew, right? And now they're young adults. They're 21, 20, and 18. Um, plus we have three mm. more bonus babies now. So here we go. Um, but I We'll am, talk about that second marriage in a while. <laughs> we will, but uh, it's been good. But I'm always thankful of that because I think it was so nice to have guidance, professional guidance, as well as a community of, okay, like how do we phrase this, right? What was your experience of explaining 
a suicide to an eight-year-old? How do we phrase that? How do we teach our kids to talk about it in school, right? And to keep their composure if they want to. How do we teach them to ask for the resources or step away when they might need to? What a wonderful program to be able to train us as parents in a situation we never thought we'd navigate. You know, the thing is that your your um, practical bent helped you get those resources too, didn't it? Uh, you seem you seem like a very practically minded person, and um, that does get you looking for what will help, which I think is a real plus. Um, you know, that as long as it doesn't um, leave no room for the feelings you're having about it all, but it sounds like you had a place for that. We did. And it was an appropriate place, right? And it was a community of people walking on this journey together. And that's even when I talk about like my close community in my neighborhood, right? They walked alongside of me. They didn't know what to say every day. Neither did I. Sometimes it was just being present. That's exactly what we all needed. Always thankful. And it does seem as if, uh, you know, a lot a lot of what people, uh, we'll just start talking about this, we might not finish. A lot of people I, I speak with or interview um, have the most unhelpful things said or done around them in grief, and particularly a grief like yours where people are particularly afraid of making a mistake about it or, you know, it sounds as if your family, friends, and community did better than usual. And I wondered what's the best thing anyone did and, and the least helpful thing anyone did during that time. Um, oh, um, yeah, there was, there were some hard moments along the way. I would say the most helpful was probably months after the loss when the activity dies down. Can we say that fairly? Fairly. Um, yeah. <laughs> yes. When the activity dies down and some of it was welcomed, right? Like that piece to just get kind of quote unquote back to normal with my kids was welcomed. Um, but a lot of it was someone just knocking at the door saying, Hey, do you want to just sit for a bit? You want a cup of tea? Like, wow. Like they were just coming to give me a half hour. Like they brought their kids to distract mine and like, you want to just sit for a half hour? Like unscheduled, but an open invitation to just share the moment. It was great. That's interesting too, because the unscheduled moment is easier to say no to. If, sure. you're not, if you're not in that space, you can say, oh, I'm sorry, it's not a good time. Yeah. And it'll probably be easier to say and easier to accept. A hundred percent. I agree so with that. No is a hard word for me. <laughs> yeah, I can tell. Um, let's take a break. And then I'd like to just take a few minutes on what wasn't so helpful, because I think that's an important thing for people to hear. Um, just, you know, what is not so helpful, both for people who've had the same experience. Oh, they didn't find that helpful either. You know, sure. and for people who are listening, who maybe haven't had the experience themselves, it's very helpful. So we'll be back in a few minutes. And listeners, you can find links to my website and social media at the Good Grief page at Voice America. And you can find Donna Kendrick at widow-wisdom.com. Be back soon. Be sure to like the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel on Facebook. You'll find great health tips from the experts. Find out more about your favorite shows and talk back to our team. Search Voice America Health or click the like button under the player today. 
This is Good Grief host Cheryl Jones. Whether you're in grief, crisis, deep loss, or transition, working with the right therapist can move you forward like nothing else. That's why I'm happy to be sponsoring BetterHelp. Their user-friendly platform connects you with a therapist uniquely suited to support you. If you want to know more, follow the link on my host page or go to betterhelp.com slash goodgrief. That's betterhelp.com slash goodgrief and receive a 10% discount for the first month. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Resiliency is the human capacity to lean into individual and collective strengths with compassion and grit when faced with the challenges of lived experience. Join host Elaine miller Karras for Resiliency Within, a program of hope and healing designed to inspire you to integrate wellness into your life, your family, and your community. In challenging times, you'll want to tune in every week. Resiliency Within can be heard every Monday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on The Voice of America Health and Wellness Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Donna Kendrick about her book, A Guide to Widowhood. And before the break, Donna, uh, you shared uh, something that you found very helpful, and it's something people hesitate to do, I want to say. So I'm I'm glad to reinforce it really is ha- helpful when someone just reaches out casually and uh, ju- just to hang out, not to assume where you're going to be at, what you're going to need or want, just, hi. <laughs> I found that also quite helpful. Uh, in, in especially early grief, but, you know, still, if someone says, hi, just thinking about how this is, you know, the anniversary date or something thinking about you, I still really appreciate it. And it's been 27 years. Yeah. A hundred percent. I also remember too, I mean, I was, I had just turned 40 when we lost Greg. Um, and when you'd be invited out normally as a couple, Right. And I was the only one uncoupled. Right. So I really, really enjoyed many of times we had a very solid friend group. One friend, whether it was the husband or the wife, the other one would stay behind and they would be my my second partner for that day so that I would or that dinner. So I would always have somebody with me and I didn't feel like the odd man out. And it was someone who was very comfortable with me. Um, but I never felt that lone ranger. No, don't get me wrong. I'm someone who can stand on my own two feet very well. So I can work, walk into a party or a social gathering and be fine on my own. But when it's early on in the loss, 
the other people in the group many times feel uncomfortable. So to see that you're sitting there, there's no empty chair next to you, you have a buddy to chit chat with, made everyone else in the group feel calm. Not to mention what a what an act of love on the part of those couples. You know, they they then missed going to the party together. They did. In your in your service and that to me is a real act of love. Uh, I've never heard anyone describe that before. I've heard feeling like the third wheel or the odd person out at a party so many times. And I've never heard anyone who experienced that. Isn't that interesting? What a lovely Uh, group of friends, right? What a lovely group of friends. Absolutely. And, you know, it works on many levels. What would you say was maybe the least helpful thing that um, came your way during that time? Yeah, I think I have a little bit of time to think about that. Some of the least helpful things. Um, sometimes, very recently after the loss, people would come and be like, oh, I know how you feel, right? Share their story too. Now, many of times you learn from someone else's story, but they didn't know how I felt, right? Like, right. no one does. Like, you're not no. inside my body. Even if you had a similar loss, you're not inside my body. We can have a shared experience, but you certainly don't know how I feel. I remember getting very sarcastic about that line. So that was one. Um, people that really wanted to have good advice and helpful, but overstepped the boundaries, right? Mm-hmm. That was uh, a tough one. Again, I think we shared earlier on for the break, I have a hard time with the word no. So I would also have a hard time of any type of conflict, right? So to tell somebody like, thank you for offering to paint my house, but I didn't want it blue, nor did I ask you to, right? Like those right, were- right. <laughs> Some conversations, yes. like it was a lovely shade of blue. Glad <laughs> they just got a corner done. Um, but they were doing it with good intentions. But it was a little bit of of overstepping, right? Of it, it wasn't needed. I would have probably asked them to do something different, right? Like maybe pick mm-hmm. up the kids from a carpool. That would have been so helpful for me. Yeah. Um, and a lot of what wasn't helpful too was some of the leaders of the area, either through the education or through their religion, pulling the kids aside to express their own outlook on suicide and so on. Without my permission. That was tough. That's again about overstepping, isn't it? Because it seems as if, I mean, that's true of everyone I I speak with, but for you in particular, the way that you were coping was being in charge. Sure. So the, it also would undermine you in that way that then they're taking something away that you could, in fact, manage yourself. Sure. Um, and, that, and I felt like we had like, a, or at least I had in my head um, through that help a safe harbor of like our, our playbook, right? How are we going to slowly progress through this? Not that any rules can apply, but it was at least a guide path that I had um, that I thought I was working from. So that that would probably be one of one of the big ones for me. Yeah. And, and that's not unfamiliar. Uh, you know, I, I remember when my wife had cancer, people would continuously tell her what she should be doing about it. But years into it, right? Yeah. She was the expert. I mean, if anyone <laughs> yeah. was the expert, she knew more than her doctors, honestly. Yeah. And she had 
pounded every payment. And it was so alienating to have someone, it's a similar quality to have someone say, oh, you should really try this herb or you should go to Mexico or, you you know. Yeah. Or like, this uh, is the state, bury them upside down in the yard. You're like, thank you very much. I got it covered. Thanks a lot. So I think that's a general truism. People feel uh, uh, they don't know what to do. And so they try to do something. And doing something is not as helpful as just being there, as you've as you've just um, uh, noted. Yeah. So I got the idea that very quickly you uh, found. I don't know if you found them or people found them for you. Uh, experts to help with things like finance, estate. Uh, social security, you know, all of those different aspects that you now help people with. How did you go about that process? Because it's a terrible time to be looking for people to work with. Uh, uh, Only, I guess the upside is maybe it's a little easier to say you're not for me. Uh, There you go. (laughs) Than usual. But um, how did you, you knew you needed to for whatever reason. Tell me a little bit about that process for you. Yeah. I mean, so I guess we have to start with where I was coming from and where my educational base in reference to finance was. So in our relationship with Greg and I, I ran the family finances. So I knew where the accounts were. I knew the long-term plan. He and I had a financial advisor in our young 20s before we moved abroad. Uh, So we had our life insurance in check. Thank goodness we had that expert advice in our young 20s because that's really what protected me. That's how my kids are now being educated in college. That's how I was able to keep my house was life insurance money. Um, But even that uh, advisor I had gone to as soon as we lost Greg, because I knew I had access to life insurance money. We actually paid for his funeral with a collateral loan on the life insurance payout. Like that's how we had to do it. Um, So to everyone listening out there, always have a cash reserve for emergency situations like this. I did not at the time, but that's um, important for people to hear too, lest, lest, uh, people feel like they're failing. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. most most people these days do not have that. Uh, no, three surely. to six months of what it takes you to be you. Put it aside. Don't even look at it. Think it doesn't even exist. Greg and I actually were really good at having a cash reserve, but we had used our cash reserve to put the deposit on the new house when we had moved uh, between houses to move back to the Philadelphia area. So again, we had only moved within two months, so we still hadn't sorted out the re replenishing of the funds. Let's put it that way. Um, But yeah, so I knew that I really wanted to spend so much time with my kids and making sure they were okay. Again, we had just moved into this community. They were completely reestablishing their roots all while living with the loss of their father. Um, And I knew that's where I wanted to spend my attention. And so I was educated enough. I had a degree um, in statistics of business degree. So I knew what had to be done for the finances. I just knew I wasn't the one who wanted to do it. I wanted to have someone else handle that for me. And so I went on the search and the search started with a lot of interviews, interviewing other widows that I knew who Mm. had had good experiences with um, their financial advisors, interviewing the teachers that I respected in my kid's school, interviewing my sister's friends. Who do you know who might've lost their husband? Who helped your mom? I heard your dad passed away three years ago. And that's how I started my list of starting to do interviews for financial advisors. Um, And finally wound up talking to the gentleman who played the bagpipes in my wedding. 
He had unfortunately passed away a few years before. Um, I knew his wife had four young children. And so I went to her and said, who did you use? And that wound up to be my financial advisor. I remember I carried a tote bag full of all of my important documents um, with me to every interview with the financial advisor. And I knew I was sliding my tote bag across the table being like, you take these, have fun, all my documents. Um, I'll walk you through them, be back in a week. Have a good day. Like just for that <laughs> start of the relationship. Um, and, and, I, it, I, and I have to take note that you have to have enough money that you can pay for somebody to do that. Uh, ironically, you know, you have enough money if you need someone to do that, but there are people in the in-between. They do have something to manage. For instance, let's say you have a life insurance policy, but you have no savings, you have no retirement, you have no cash flow, Uh, you know, then you have it to manage, but you don't have the money to pay to have it managed. I was thinking about that while I was reading the book, that that's a situation a lot of people are in, aren't they? It's true. And that's actually one of the reasons why I wrote that book, because so many people, if they don't have, quote unquote, enough assets, right, to have a financial advisor help them. um, Sometimes, like myself, you can find a financial advisor who doesn't will help you guide through a plan without having to manage any assets. That's a question to ask. In my book, there's a lot of downloads where you can actually have like a short survey of if you're going to call a financial advisor for help. A lot of the local support centers will actually have advisors like myself that volunteer their time to help for guidance. But that's one of the reasons why I wrote the book, because I will tell you when someone hears life insurance and it's a loss and a widower, a widower, sometimes unscrupulous people come out of the woodwork. And sometimes you have good hearted people that are giving you financial advice, but they might not have the expertise that you really need. And you might lose um, the opportunity to make some really great decisions and take advantage of some really good uh, tax benefits, maybe, or even opportunities for benefits through social security. So many widows I've bumped into in my widow community, like didn't even know originally that they could get benefits for their kids from social security. Right, they never applied. Right. So that's where I thought, okay, if I put this book out there, then it can reach so many. And at least they know some questions to ask and they don't have to just rely on Uncle Bobby at the Thanksgiving table, right? Because Uncle Bobby might be really good at day trading, but he might not know how to make a widow's benefit work for her if she's below 60 things like that. And also there's a, uh, not so much for you, but very typically there's a sort of paralysis that I notice a lot of, uh, particularly people who've lost a partner, uh, a spouse experience where they just, they can't even, um, they can't craft the list uh, you know, where, of what whereas, to do next of what to do next, they would be perfectly capable of it in a normal time, but they just can't make that happen. So having a, a point by point, your, your uh, book is also blessedly short. Yeah, thank <laughs> you. Know, you. <laughs> a long book is not going to work at that moment. It'll just overwhelm people. Right. Yeah. And in the Uh, beginning of the book too, we say, all right, you don't have to read the whole thing. Like if you are wrecked with grief, don't read the first three chapters about my story. Skip away, right? Go (laughs) where you need to go. Or if you're picking up the book. Go to the list. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Download the list, how to write the obituary, what to do in the first 24 hours. If you have that numbness, that's what those lists are for. 
And I, I highly recommend this book to people that are trying to support someone through grief. So just like we were talking about a little bit earlier, what were the good things that people did for you? What were the not so good things with you? I hope this book is a good guide path to help support someone in grief so that maybe you can suggest something or action an item within the book for that person. Do the interviews with financial advisors who will manage um, a plan without assets. Where are the free community resources? Which advisors donate? their time. Um, you can do a lot of that legwork if you can see that the widow or the widower is in that stage of numbness, right? As, I as call long it as they want you the to, right. As long as they want you to do it. Agreed. And the other thing is, um, I thought you made a good but not hurtful case for not having it be your relatives. Uh, you know, so your brother-in-law or something is pretty good with numbers and offers to do all your finances, uh, you made a case against that being the person that isn't personal. That's True. just, it's better if it's this professional person. So pay for the hour instead <laughs> was my thought in my pay for the person to go for an hour <laughs> instead yeah. of doing it, trying to do it because it's just, for one thing, all those people are also in grief, aren't they? They are. And they then are. they know all of your minute details, what you had together and what you didn't, and very complicated. Yeah, you can lose a little bit of privacy. You can lose a little bit of independence along the way. And not that somebody was being snoopy. Sometimes it's just the matter of them, of extended family talking amongst themselves in efforts to try to help you. But all of a sudden, your personal business is out there. And then you feel as if maybe you can't share more information in the future because they might judge you because either they know what you do or you don't have. For sure. And then in your particular circumstance, um, you know, I think one of the problems, it doesn't sound as if you experience this a lot, but there can be a lot of judgment around suicide itself, mm -hmm. which is inappropriate, but present. And then that would make you even more vulnerable about other possible judgments, I would think. That you just don't want people judging you. <laughs> you know, That's and the more information they have, the more likely that might be. Yeah, we, we call it adding fuel to it, right? Right, so. right. We're gonna go to another break and then we'll come back and talk about what you actually do with people when they come to you now and how you came to re-enlist in the relationship world, all those uh, things that happened over time. And listeners, you can go to my website, weatheringgrief.com, the Good Grief host page. To find Donna Kendrick, go to widow-wisdom.com. Back after the break. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. This is Good Grief host Cheryl Jones. Whether you're in grief, crisis, deep loss, or transition, working with the right therapist can move you forward like nothing else. That's why I'm happy to be sponsoring BetterHelp. Their user-friendly platform connects you with a therapist uniquely suited to support you. If you want to know more, follow the link on my host page or go to betterhelp.com slash goodgrief. That's betterhelp.com. 
facebook.com slash goodgrief and receive a 10% discount for the first month. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Functional Medicine with Dr. Robbins looks at how natural healing and biological dentistry can safely and effectively treat most health problems. You'll hear about the innovations in both traditional and alternative medicine therapies with doctors and dentists, along with discussions with chiropractors, medical experts, homeopaths, naturopaths, and energetic healers. It's great to have all the best information in one place. And Functional Medicine with Dr. Robbins brings it all together. Listen Thursdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Health and Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. I've been talking with Donna Kendrick. And before the break, Donna, I was saying I'd like to spend this this third of our interview, really talking about how you came to be uh, fully going forward. Obviously, our our griefs, our losses are, are become a part of us, right? We're not, I would never try to get rid of them, but uh, you went forward into a new marriage, you went forward into a new career. Can you talk some about that process for you? Uh, in the book, you put a little bit of a timeline on it, blessedly vague, right? Because <laughs> it, it's a different, it's, right? Or different for every person, but I'd love to hear your story about that. Yeah, so probably I spent about two years continuing to work part-time uh, in my kids' school. That way I could mimic their school schedule after we had lost Greg. Um, but I knew financially, I mean, Greg was the breadwinner and I needed to get back to work. Um, and I am a person uh, very goal-oriented and I was like, all right, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it well. I'm going to do it once. Let's go. Um, mm-hmm. And I really took some time and reflected back on what did I, I knew I had to find a career that was purposeful to help people in a loss like mine. Um, especially with that feeling of when you are younger as a widow or a widower and you have young children, right? And and really, what are we going to do next to help provide for them as well as for ourselves? Because we have a long lifetime ahead of us. Mm. Um, so I kind of looked back and I thought, well, what was most helpful for me? And it was literally that moment of sliding my dope bag across the table to my financial planner at the time. I worked really closely over the next two years after we lost Greg with my planner. And he was an expert at 
timing. He would never push too far. He probably had, quote unquote, the answer to my plan and had a vision in his head by the time we were done the second conversation. But he would just slowly evolve that plan for me for the next steps and let me feel the decisions because the decisions I wanted to make at day 30 felt different at day 90, felt different after the first year, felt different after the second year. And I appreciated his patience as well as his expertise during that. And he was actually my resource to help me find a good accountant, a good estate attorney, um, even the direction of good counseling for my kids, right? And some people that might've worked for other clients of his. That was really one of the most impactful parts of my process of getting quote unquote back to life after losing Greg. I thought I want to do what he did specifically for people in transition like this. Um, those in widowhood, people post-divorce because so many of the people coming out of divorce, that's like a loss of a love, a loss of a future. And for many, like in widowhood, sometimes you know exactly where you stand financially, good or bad, right? right. But sometimes for divorce, it still gets impacted by the the next steps of the other person. I was like, okay, how do I help this whole community? So I actually went back to school and did some training to become a certified financial planner, mentored under my own advisor. Um, and then ultimately about five years later, had my own company, uh, my own firm, so that I can give financial planning advice specifically to these families transition. Very niched. I like to say I put love back into financial planning because for me, for that person who's a planner, who has um, the goals and just goes, 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 making sure that I had the right advice along the way helped me feel empowered, helped me feel in control um, and helped me feel like I was advocating for my kids for not just today and tomorrow, but for the long haul. And I also knew, as you mentioned before too, there's some people that that don't have the benefits of life insurance or maybe a pension like my late husband and I had, right? There was a sigh of relief from that. Um, and to know that I hope that anyone who reached out to my my firm for one phone call, right? I could at least point them in the right direction, that they'd be a better person on this earth at the end of that phone call. And I go into every discovery session, every um, complimentary phone call or Zoom or in-person meeting with that too. How do I give them at least one good good piece of advice, one good little trick of the trade, one good resource to help them make the next best choice? That was phenomenal for me. It's interesting because I have experienced, you know, a lot of families that I've worked with who had an estate plan, who had an attorney that held the paperwork of the estate plan. But it's a whole different situation after a person actually dies. You also need to have some, to, to be really good at that point, you have, have to have some emotional intelligence. Or That's some personal experience, <laughs> you know, no matter what it is, it, whether it's a, a funeral home or a crematorium, you know, whatever it is, if you're dealing with people in the throes of early grief, I think you need some some therapeutic skills. Yeah. And a and, lot of, go ahead. Well, and, uh, you know, not to the level of being a professional like I am, but to the level of empathy uh, what you're saying about not pushing the person too fast, being warm, um, giving them a chance to decide if you're right for them. All those things are just, uh, you know, music to a therapist's ear. There you go. And I am not a therapist. Like I always like to say, like, I, I like the mommy people and that's my caring gift. <laughs> like, 
But I do know that sometimes when a widower or a widower or a divorcee comes to my table, one box of tissues is always there, right? I was stoic for the first year. Don't think I shed a tear at all. Completely different person now, right? But it's there if you need it. Uh, but two, letting them almost set the tone for what we're going to share in that first hour. If it was someone like myself, I came with my tote bag, we're getting to business, right? And there's other people that come with nothing. They they just want to know where to start. Some mm-hmm. people just need to be heard of, you know, Uncle Bobby said this, my neighbor said that, I feel in my belly I should do this. And I'm just so confused that I'm stalled. I'm not going to make any decision. I'm stalled. Or even a simple question of how do I apply to get my benefits from life insurance? Or how do I go to social security? Like what's next? So many of times I sit and I just listen, ask if they want to share their story, because that's really how you learn. And then it just starts to unravel on its own. So I really get to know if that person is a good fit to work with me. And if I can be of the best service to them, I'm not the best fit for anyone and vice versa. And that's really where that is. So it's the time to get to know the person, not just the details to the things we have to do. It's important. And of course, to me, um, you know, they people in my field used to say, it doesn't matter how the loss happened, you know, it's grief is grief. Not true whatsoever. <laughs> if you think my trust level was high after Greg took his life, you are not mistaken. The, that's I right. Didn't trust anyone, anyone for because the your whole time. world was turned, you know, upside the, down. The thing you you would never expect happened. from the person you trusted most. Right. So, um, and that's you know not that uncommon. Right. Uh, But what what where I was at when my wife died after, you know, a very good relationship and many, many years of navigating the end of life questions. And I was very different from someone in your your circumstance. Agreed. Uh, So I think that's a good first move. Where is this person at? What can they, what can they take? You know, are they looking through shoe boxes or are they, you know, going to a file? That's, that's a huge difference, isn't it? No, it's true. And I I remember once um, it was even before I became a financial planner, maybe it was a year after I lost Greg, I got connected with another widow and all she wanted me to do is help her go through like three boxes because she was afraid of what we call bumping into things. She's mm-hmm. like, can you go through these three boxes? I'm looking for X, Y, and Z statements and I'm looking for this medical card. I'm so afraid of what I'm going to bump into. So it might be helpful if someone else goes through it with me. Well, and you even told a story in the book about bumping into something a lot of years later. I can't remember what the item was, but those unexpected moments with grief are the ones that kind of catch us unawares, aren't they? A hundred percent. And sometimes it can be an item. Sometimes it could be a smell, right? Sometimes it could be a situation. Oh, bonfires drive me and my youngest son crazy. Everyone else is like, you want to toast s'mores? We're like, nope, we're good. Because on the night we lost Greg, there was a bonfire in our neighbor's backyard. So we always associate that smell, that smell of cherry wood burning with the loss of Greg. And that's not uncommon either, that that um, obviously those were two unrelated events that got fused. And I think trauma does that very, very often. It can take a while to figure out, why do I react to that? But you knew Obviously. Yeah. Yeah. So we're not good camping buddies. So anyone who's listening, we don't like to go camping. Camping is a queen size bed. I will not not going anywhere. I will not invite you camping. 
Um, so there's two remaining things um, we have, you know, three or four minutes to talk about. So your kids have now grown up. Uh, you seem to imply they're all, you know, going forward with their lives, going to college, all of that. And you remarried and formed stepmother relationships along yeah. the line here. Um, and so you've obviously uh, gone forward uh, very much so. How has that been? It's it's been wonderful, um, but I will tell you. Let's go back to that trust topic. I think that was probably the biggest barrier for me. Um, my new husband Jim and I have been together for oh, three or four years. We were friends for years. I mean, for years we were friends, um, and then it turned into a relationship later when life changed, and that was wonderful because we had that foundation of friendship. Um, but we had plans to marry a few times, and I just couldn't go there. Like I just uh -huh. couldn't go there uh -huh. because of that whole trust. And a lot of it might be too that, okay, I'm stubborn, right? And I liked things my way. When you're on your own financially, standing on your own two feet, making decisions for your kids, you're like, okay, no one's telling me. I wrong. don't need anybody. Oh yeah. <laughs> I used to stand in the middle of the foyer asking the kids like, you know, you're raising kids. Like, well, let's see who disagrees with me. Anyone, anyone? Oops, nope. Guess it's my way. Like it was... <laughs> I call it a widow's benefit, um, but I really did miss being married and I missed sharing those decisions with somebody. And I think my kids deserved to have um, someone to share the decisions with me. So it wasn't always my way. And it's been a blessing and we learn more every day. Um, but also to see my kids have adult relationships with my step husband and and to be able to bounce those ideas about their futures. It's wonderful to see. Mm. I've been remarried for 25 years. Oh. So I know, I know the longitudinal. <laughs> and give me some advice. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's it, um for me, a lot of it early on was navigating still being connected to the person who died while being committed to the person who's alive. I point. found that rather complicated at first. I had a lot of dreams about it. Um, I had to form a new relationship with that person who had died yeah. uh, because I'm monogamous, basically. <laughs> I understood. Uh, so that I think, and it's, and it's letting it be completely different. Uh, it, it, thank goodness, right? But also weird because yeah. you calibrate your life with a certain person and then the, the new person is not that person. They're complete, completely themselves. I think overall that's a real advantage, but it was a little hard to get used to, right? Having, having um, done quite well with, with someone else you know, to let it be yeah. a whole different pattern. So th that's what comes to my mind. But I, I guess the, the bottom line message for those people out there is there does come a point where you, where your desire for love overcomes your fear. Something like that. I agree with it. And I think it's also okay to um, love the past and love the future. Mm. 
What a great place to end for today. Thanks so much for being with me, Donna. And I hope people, especially people who don't have the resources to hire financial planners, will check out your book because it's very laid out very um, concretely and um, tells you what to look at, whether it applies to you or not. So thanks so much for that. Thank you, Cheryl, for the opportunity. Much appreciated. Widow-wisdom.com is where you can find Donna. Next week, I'll have Kara Bowman to talk about her book, Heartbreak to Hope, Poems Poems of Support for Grief and Loss. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.